chapter 12 is where we'll get started. And I felt led to preach a message or bring a message on the topic of missions in some form or fashion. And oftentimes when we have a, a sermon here, it's very much in a certain text and we're working our way through that text. Tonight we'll be all over the place. All right. And I remember being in school and getting to my um, higher studies and coming to a class called Biblical Theology. And that almost sounds like an oxymoron. I mean, where else would you get theology, right? Except from the Bible. Why not just call it theology class? Well, biblical theology is about how theology progresses through the book or through the author's writings. And most often it is through scripture and how the how the Lord has arranged and put on display his, his truth. And we're going to look at how the God of the Old Testament had a heart for missions. Timothy, would you run and get my phone for me, please, from down below? Having a little trouble with my iPad here. Genesis 12, and we're going to read verse 1 through 3 as we get started here. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Pastor Jeremiah, would you pray for us, please? Lord, we thank you for this time that we set aside now to look into your word. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. And Father, we're thankful for your spirit. If we are saved, that we have that helps us to understand your word tonight. And I pray that your spirit will help pastor as it preaches. Please open our hearts, our minds, to understand your word. And Lord, as we approach missions conference and as Pastor preaches to us on missions, I just pray that you would uh, burden our hearts for the need of the world around us, the people around us. May we learn to love them with love of Christ and Jesus. Amen. I have heard people say that they have no problem with the work of Jesus. They have a problem with the God of the Old Testament. And that explanation or that feeling or that approach to the Bible is deeply flawed because Jesus makes very, very clear that he is 100% united with Jehovah, with God the Father. They are one. And the work that he did was to fulfill the Father's work and was to perpetuate the Father's work. And there was no iota of disagreement between Jesus and God the Father. Some people have tried to say that the Bible was kind of a, a mishmash of legends and different writings. And so you kind of have to pick through it to you know pick out certain truths and other things are not true. And again, that approach to the Bible is deeply flawed. I'm hoping tonight to show as we work through the Old Testament that the God of the Old Testament has always loved the souls of men. Never has there been a time where God is not interested in saving souls. Let me remind us of another thing about our Bibles. We are reading a book that has 1,600 years of history. Can I just remind us that there is a lot 
a lot, a lot, a lot of history that never made it into the Bible. There's a lot. I remember studying American history and American history is only how many years? Who's, who's good at math? How many years of American history do we have? It's over 200 years. I know that 250. What, how, how many is it? 200. Okay. Well, somewhere in there, 250, 260. We're, we're doing some estimation here. That's how many years. And yet in American history, even there's plenty of that that you don't know. There's plenty of that that you can't learn about, even if you wanted to. Here we have 1,600 years of history to, to cover in the scripture. And all throughout the Old Testament, you can see that God had a heart for all people, not just the Jewish people. Even before we get to Abraham, which we started out here, I want to remind us that when we read of Noah in the New Testament, this is in Hebrews chapter 11. Or I'm sorry, this is in 2 Peter 2. It says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And God gave Noah 100 years to preach to the people before the flood came. Do you remember how God told Noah that a flood would be coming? He told him 100 years prior. And he was a preacher of righteousness. So there was a message going out that judgment is coming. Your sins have separated you from God. And Noah was the one that proclaimed that message. God wanted, I believe God wanted more people on that ark. I believe there was space for more people on that ark. But only eight believed and entered the ark when it was time. Moving to Abraham, at the end of verse three, it says, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, there's a, books that have been written on this covenant, books that have been written even on this part of this covenant, but certainly the highest fulfillment of, of this part of the covenant is the coming of Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation to all. That is the ultimate fulfillment. But I want to suggest to you, and I believe this, that this part of the covenant also has other application, and that is that the other seed of Abraham would be a blessing to the world. Certainly, the seed of Abraham were a blessing to the world when they came down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, all around, certainly around the Western world, and ultimately, in almost all cultures, most of the Ten Commandments are honored and revered in some form or fashion. Now, maybe not Commandments 1 and 2, but certainly adultery and theft and murder and honoring your parents, these types of things are taught in all cultures, right? And when was this systematized? at the Mount Sinai. So Abraham has a covenant and it says, in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. As we go forward, we're going to see how other people who are not Jews were blessed by the people of Israel and more specifically pointed to the saving faith of Jehovah. Turn with me now to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Do you remember that God in the book of Exodus sent 10 plagues down upon the land of Egypt. Do you remember this? All those plagues. And you know, when you first read of them, especially if you read it casually, you might just think that God is, you know, upset, throwing some sort of temper tantrum. No, that's not really what's going on. Really, there's a power struggle for God's people and the people of the world. There's a power struggle for the true God and the false gods. And there were many false gods in Egypt and every single plague attacked the character of a false god. And so this is a spiritual conflict. 
And in Exodus 12, they start to head out of the land. And I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. And what does your Bible say? And a, what's the next word there? Mixed multitude also went up with them and flocks and herds and even very many cattle. What is that mixed multitude? It is Egyptians and maybe even other people groups that were in in Egypt, but certainly Egyptians are among them. They left. Now, I want you to think about what that would mean to leave your home, having seen every one of your gods destroyed or mocked by the hand of Almighty God. That would take some courage. That would take some, dare I say the word, faith to leave your home, to leave your gods, and to join in with the people of Israel, to join in and to follow them out of the land of Egypt. Now, I know there were times later where there was maybe some poor influence by some of these, not necessarily all, but by some of these, it's referenced later. But I don't, I don't believe we should consider these people unsaved or not believers because it takes a great deal of faith to leave your home and to cast in your lot with people that have been slaves. That's not a honorable thing. <laughs> and, and clearly their, their allegiance had shifted here. So what does this tell us? Even within the work of Egypt, God was drawing Gentiles to himself. He was bringing them to himself. Now, I want to shift ahead. We're, we're doing about a 40-year advance on our time machine, all right? And next, we come to, well, wait a minute. There's one more passage I want to look at in Exodus. Exodus 19. This is, instead of 40 years, this is more like 40 days, okay? And a little more than that, I guess. Verse 4, Exodus 19, 4. And it says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and have brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. But notice this next line here. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. He is teaching the children of Israel that they will be a special people to him. There's no doubt about that fact. Israel was a special nation to the Lord. But then he says, all the earth is mine. And God's plan for the children of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. And you know what a priest does? A priest stands between. And God was laying up Israel to be his priests, a kingdom of priests. And the the world was his. And he would use the priest to intercede between him and the world. And so God intended, and he did effectively reach the world with the Jew. And certainly not, you know, from our human perspective, we would say, well, certainly more people should have believed the Lord. Yes, absolutely. But there was many Gentiles that came to Christ or came to faith, we would say, in the Old Testament. Now, let's scoot ahead in our chronology to the entering in of the land of Canaan. Now, I think this story is so beautiful because it is the first, the first entrance into this special land that God has promised them. And I won't go, I'm just going to quote a verse from the New Testament, but this is the story of the woman named Rahab. Rahab the harlot was in the city of Jericho and she took the spies in. She believed that God, their God was the true God. She believed that he had the power to overtake their land. And she believed in Jehovah. And in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, it says of Rahab, Hebrews eleven thirty one, by faith, the prostitute Rahab did not perish 
with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Here in their very first entrance into the land of Canaan, these are the people they're supposed to be, you know, killing and destroying. They're supposed to be taking their land. And isn't it amazing that in the very first city, there are people that turn to Jehovah in faith. Here we see that Israel, even being a light to the descendants, if you've been in our Genesis study, the descendants of Canaan who were cursed and the descendants who were supposed to be cast out and and killed in that land, even of them, there are people coming to faith in Jehovah. Turn to Joshua chapter four. Joshua chapter four. Now, Joshua chapter four and verse 24, this is what Joshua tells the people of Israel. I'll I'll scoot back to verse 23 and read that to lead into it. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we had gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua says the reason God did that is so that all the earth would know who the Lord is. It becomes a little more real when we realize that that was precisely what Rahab believed in. When she heard of what God had done, did at the Red Sea, which was how many years prior? 40 years ago. She believed in the power of the God of Israel. She believed he was the true God. She placed her faith in God. And here Joshua affirms, this is the plan of God. Through you, all the world will know who the Lord is. Now, as we move forward, there's a lot of examples. I'm just going to mention some of them. Others will actually turn and we'll look. But the next person I want to mention is I want to mention a a person in the scriptures named Ruth. Ruth. Now, due to time, we'll just kind of summarize, but Ruth was a Moabite. And she there was an Israelite family that moved into Moab. They spent time there. And she married one of those sons. She married a Moabite. I'm sorry, he married a Moabitess. And through the influence of that family, she came to faith in Jehovah. Specifically, what we read of her, I'm going to turn over there and read what she says to Naomi when Naomi says, go back to your home. I don't know if you remember this or not, but this is what Ruth says, Ruth 1.16. And Ruth said, do not entreat me to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. She claimed faith in Jehovah God in the Old Testament. This is Ruth. Moving further ahead, all the way up to the time of David, David had 70 mighty men who fought with him. These were his elite troops. These were his personal guards. And there was a very famous one who was named Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. And there's a whole sordid story there with David that I won't go into. But I want to point out that David had one of his closest guards, one of his elite troops, was a Hittite. That means he was a Gentile who had placed his faith in Jehovah and was welcomed into the ranks of Israel, actually so close as to be a guardian or a special soldier of the king himself. This is Uriah the Hittite. Turn over to 1 Kings 34. 1 Kings 34. And as we work through these passages, 
These, remember, are just the little highlights that God has recorded for us. There is certainly more that that are not recorded. First Kings chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 34. First Kings 4 and verse 34. And this is in reference to the kingdom of Solomon. It says, And men of all people came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. The Bible tells us that people came from all over the earth to hear and learn of the wisdom of Solomon. Is there anyone here that can tell us where Solomon got his wisdom? From God. And you remember when the angel appeared to him and he offered him a request and he he asked for wisdom, God gave it to him. So can you imagine him talking to all these other people from around the world saying, you just need to be smart. You just need to be smart. Have high IQs. Do you think that's what Solomon said? No, in Proverbs, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And so all people from all around the world were coming to hear Solomon. I think as you consider his fall later in life, as he began, became an idolater and as he corrupted himself spiritually, you think of the witnessing power that was lost by Solomon. That is astounding to, to meditate on, isn't it? Turn to chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10. This is just a few chapters up, 1 Kings 10, 9 and 10. And we'll have to keep moving here. And this is the Queen of Sheba. And the Queen of Sheba, we discussed this briefly in the Genesis class. We don't know precisely where she came from. Some people say it was Saudi Arabia. Others say it was much further south down in Africa. But the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon, and this is what she tells him. Verse 9, 1 Kings 10, 9. Blessed is the Lord your God, who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do judgment and justice. The Queen of Sheba said, blessed is the Lord your God. And so, there's a, a recognition of the God of Israel. Now, whether or not she believed by faith, we don't know, but certainly there was a strong witness given to the queen of Sheba. If you want to read this passage, this is over in Luke chapter four. It's an Old Testament story, but I, I, want, to read the, I want to read the New Testament account because it draws out something that sometimes I never noticed it reading in the Old Testament. Luke chapter four, 25. Luke chapter four and verse 25. You know, we read the story of Elijah, the prophet, and when he went from the brook that dried up and he left to find the widow, we don't necessarily realize this, but that widow was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. And Luke 4 makes that very plain, Luke 4, verse 25. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But Elijah was sent to none of them, except to Zarephath, a city of Zidon, to a woman who was a widow. In other words, what we have here, if you remember the story of Elijah, is do you remember how she, when, when her son dies, she says, you have brought my sin to remembrance, and then she makes reference to his God. And what that meant is that Elijah had told her of the God of Israel. It meant Elijah had told her about her sin, which she didn't appreciate. And she was brought the good news of faith in Jehovah by Elijah the prophet. And so here again, we have a prophet of God giving the gospel to a Gentile in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 38, 
Jeremiah chapter 38, we have another example here. Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 7. This says, now when Ebed-Melech, the, here it is, Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die of hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Here we have this Ethiopian coming to basically ask the king to release Jeremiah. This shows, at least in a in a basic sense, that Ebed-Melech had an affinity or an agreement or a support of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, to what degree he believed, we don't know, but we see here that this is an Ethiopian very much close to the king, very much close to the prophet, hearing the good news from them. Now, who knows what other book I'm going to next? Jonah. That's right, Jonah. And since we're somewhat familiar, I will move quickly. But in Jonah 3, it says, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And then later, chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, I ask you, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenting of the evil. Jonah says, I knew you were going to forgive these people. I knew you were patient and kind and you would turn away from your wrath. And what that means is Jonah knew that God would accept Gentiles and that Gentiles could turn to the Lord in salvation. And he didn't like that fact. He would rather just have stayed with his Jewish people. Sad to say there are some today that are content to let their Christianity just reside with them. And they don't want to share it with others. They don't want it to spread. Can I give another example? Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4 and verse 34. This is the words of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all Babylon. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth have no reputation, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stop his hand or say to him, What are you doing? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned to me, and my counselors and my Lord sought for me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Nebuchadnezzar, the King of Babylon, declares his loyalty and his allegiance to the king of heaven. This is the king of Babylon. Do you remember from our study? Let's see here. Was it our study on the Bible and preservation and all that? Or was it a different study? But we discussed the fact that this section of Daniel was written in a different language. It was not written in Hebrew. It was written in Aramaic, which was the language spoken at that time. 
So that meant all those Aramaic speakers could hear this record of Nebuchadnezzar saying, I honor and extol the king of heaven and, and how his allegiance was turned to Jehovah God of the Israelites. Just think about how radical it is for a nation to take over another nation, haul their people in, take their stuff from their temple as they did, and then later for that king to publicly declare, this is the true God. I humble myself before the one true God. What a powerful declaration of someone whose faith was placed in Jehovah. You know, we dream about who we're going to get to talk to in heaven. Most people don't say Nebuchadnezzar, but you know what? I believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven and what a day that will be for him. I guess he's already there now, but you know, king down here and then seeing the king of heaven. What a day for him. Let's close by turning to Psalm 67. I could keep going. I have a few other references in Isaiah and Habakkuk and in Malachi. One other thing I want to mention about the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and he says, you go and make proselytes of other people and you make them twice fold the children of hell? Do you remember that? This even shows that in Jesus' day, there was some who would reach out to Gentiles with Judaism. Now, granted, they were not probably sharing true gospel based on the way they lived and taught, but still we see that there was in some circles a care and an interest in Gentile people. Turn to Psalm 67. This is a written psalm. This is a psalm the Jews would read, and I want you to hear what it says. Psalm 67. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine on us. Selah that your way may be known on earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. The good news of Jehovah has always been extended to all who will listen. And as we approach our mission conference this weekend, I want to just encourage us that this is the plan of God. This is the heart of God. He cares for those who do not know him. And in the Old Testament, he used the Jews and the priests and the kings, and the prophets, and anyone who he, whom he could to spread the good news of his name, and his word, and his truth. And in the New Testament, he uses anyone whom he can, Jew or Gentile alike. And in the Old Testament, Gentiles too were used to spread the good news of Christ. This is the heart of God, and I hope, I hope, I hope that we as believers will have a, a deeper maturity and a deeper Bible knowledge enough to know that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And they are not two separate gods. It is not a schizophrenic God. Yes, sometimes certain eras have different emphases or different focuses, but all throughout the scripture, we find a God who is reaching out to people to give them the news of forgiveness through faith. This is our God. I hope this has been a good time as we study in the Old Testament. Let's pray and we'll take any questions. Father, we thank you for this summary. It was a very quick run through of these different passages. And there was more, Lord. I praise you that you have always cared 
for Gentiles and for all people. You chose to use the Jews as a vessel. Currently, you're using the church as a vessel. One day again, you will use the Jewish nation as a vessel. And one day you will rule all the nations of the world. Lord, we pray that your gospel will go forth in strength. Would you warm our hearts to the lost around us? Would you warm our hearts to the lost around the world? Would you strengthen our our heart or strengthen our giving? And I pray that our missionaries would be well cared for, that our church would be strong in our giving and our praying. Use this conference this weekend, we pray. Prepare our hearts. I ask for good health and good attendance. I pray for the missionaries to be in good health. Lord, we just ask that your hand of grace would be on the service and that you would get the glory and that Satan would be defeated this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.